<laughs> it's like we're totally forgotten how to run and record a podcast. <laughs> do, you think it, do you think it might be September? Like, have you got your pencil case, Michael, for school? I don't need to wear my mask for this conversation, do I? Uh, so welcome to the Noggin podcast. Uh, it's been a while. So welcome, Michael. Hi, everyone. And welcome back. It's been, there's been a little hiatus of uh, summer breaks with a few holidays and uh, people being away. Um, so it's good to be back with people. And dare I say, Ben, you may or may not want people to know this, but been some important decisions being made on the personal front hasn't there uh yes <laughs> will, like, pregnant pause uh do i want to disclose this go on you can you can tell the listeners well it's it's your news i wouldn't deprive you well, well what if i now come out with something that you're thinking god i wasn't expecting that are you, <laughs> thinking, are you thinking about the little being that's arriving on sunday i'm thinking about the puppy but if there's something else <laughs> uh, maybe don't mention it <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I think I mentioned on a previous podcast that uh, I've been on the hunt for a puppy. And yes, I'm picking Milo, my uh, Vizsla, up on Sunday from uh, a breeder in Stroud in Gloucestershire. So I'm busy, and people who've had dogs will laugh about this, preparing myself or preparing the house for a puppy. And people will probably be saying, yeah, read the books, but it's never quite like you expect. So, yeah, so uh, there may well be um, the odd yelping in the background in the next one of these. So, yes, very exciting. But we're not here to talk about Milo, are we, Ben? No. What are we here to talk about? So the return to work, and although it's a bit strange for people because things are still going on with the COVID situation, and we've talked a lot about how people have dealt with that individually. And when we talked about what might we talk about that's relevant for this podcast, there's been a few instances that we've picked up from coaching clients or on programs recently about how now we're six months into virtual working and with debates happening about the return to work in a a physical sense or not facebook mark zuckerberg was saying that something like out of their fifty thousand employees he thinks that by 2030 he might have half of those people working from home And there's a big emphasis in the news about decisions that are being made about are we going to ever go back to the office? And some out of the top 50 businesses in the UK, the BBC were reporting that over half are seriously considering never going back to the office. And then I picked up on a New York Times article from Satya Nadella from Microsoft, which is the guy that typically, you know, if you people have heard of Steve Ballman, people have heard of obviously Bill Gates, but very few people, if you ask them, unless they're in that world would could tell you who the chief executive of Microsoft is these days and that's borrowing a line from Matthew Syed the ping pong guy the bounce guy we followed him at a conference in February with a client if you remember Michael and he asked the question can anybody name the the last three including the present um, CEO of Microsoft and his point was that he was impressed with uh, Satya Nadella, because he's turned Microsoft from a, what we would describe it as a know-it-all business in terms of their culture, to one which has a much more growth mindset, which is, he said, instead of us being a know-it-all culture, I want us to be a learn-it-all culture. So I've paid more attention to him since, because I think that's a 
worthy endeavor and when we talk about virtual working i'm curious about how these decisions about do we or don't we go back to the office might affect corporate culture allegedly productivity is going up and i wonder if that will continue so i wondered if it was worth talking about and debating the merits of making informed decisions about how we organize ourselves in the workplace as a result of covid Sachi Nadella talks about we don't want to swap one dogma for another. So collaborative working in person, swap that for going completely virtual. He said, and this is the point that I think we both picked up on, was his concern is he misses the face-to-face contact. He misses the small conversations you have on the way into meetings, which gets missed virtually. And his point was be on the lookout for what is lost. So be on the lookout for what is lost. And I like that sense of what could be lost if we just stay virtual. I was um, with some clients last week and they um, have had some graduates in their business for 10 weeks on an internship. And I asked them about what this year has been like versus last year, given that, Last year, you know, they would have been in a workspace with the interns. And this year, they've only really worked with them virtually. And they've been really surprised at the behaviors, some of the less helpful behaviors um, that some of the interns have, have displayed and demonstrated. So sometimes a little bit inappropriate with another member of, uh, of the team online. Um, sometimes a bit of unprofessionalism has come up with some of their interns. And one of the things that got me thinking was whether there's been something missed for people who have, you know, come into the come into the work environment for the very first time, given that they're not seeing people in, in an office. They're not picking up on how someone speaks or they're not seeing the little um, implicit hierarchies between people and the relationships, how close people are or distant. And the cues that we get from being in a physical space and sharing a physical space with others, we take it for granted that, you know, unconsciously we are picking things up all the time. I remember when I first went into the workplace at 18, not knowing anything really about how I was to do this, how I was to show up. I think I must have done a lot of unconscious mirroring and copying and looking at people thinking, well, they're doing well. I'm going to do I'm going to do a bit of what they're doing. And when all that's taken away and all you get is this small window on your screen, you know, there are some nuances that have been missed. And I think that really says something about this client's experience of their interns this year, that they've really missed something. I had a conversation walking around the boundary of the cricket club just with a, a friend of mine who I play cricket with and he works in a trading firm. They they place, they trade and place um, shipments into cargo cargo vessels around the world. And it's a brokerage. So they have, they rely on relationships and they rely on having really uh, strong relationships with the people that they deal with. And they, they have clients that they've built up over years. And he was saying that whilst they're coping with working virtually, he said what he thinks is being missed is that the younger members of the team 
aren't picking up by osmosis. They're not hearing people on the phone unless they're invited to a meeting. They're not, which they wouldn't necessarily, from a productivity point of view, be invited to all of the conversations because they wouldn't be, it wouldn't be relevant for the client for them to be present. And in normal terms, what would happen in the rhythm and routine in the office is they would be working, but they would be hearing in the background, Mark, my friend, having conversations with people and how he deals with certain conversations and they're not, and they're missing that. And, I, and it makes me, uh, well, not concerned, but it, but it, I think in terms of people making informed decisions about the merits of, or the dogma as, as Sachin Adela would talk about from Microsoft is what might be lost is the cultural aspect or the, picking things up by osmosis that, that happens when you are in an environment where you're learning from, as you say, the unconscious cues that you get from other people or the here's, here's how things tend to happen around here. Here's the thing to imagine, Ben. Next week, Milo arrives and you attempt to train Milo via Zoom and you're only engaging with Milo through the computer. It's a bit like... Um, yeah. You know, if one of us became a parent of a child in child development, they talk a lot about scaffolding and how parents and teachers and caregivers support and encourage the child's development by being by their side and the child mirroring and copying and, like you say, unconsciously picking up on the cues that are available when you're face to face. No one would think to um, bring a child into the world only by relating to relating to them via the computer, it, it just wouldn't work. And and I, when I thought about these interns that joined this business I was speaking to last week, I couldn't help but think about children, you know, coming into this world that they've never been in before and starting from scratch, but only really seeing it through the limited spectrum of the computer. Yeah. And I, I think equally, it's, it may not be a choice in that some businesses may not be able to go back and work together. And so it's not a a sort of binary choice. Sometimes it's, it's not a choice at all because it may not be possible. So my head or my, my thinking turns to what might we do to help avoid things being lost? Because I think there is a possibility that this will happen for a while. So will corporate cultures erode slightly into something that's probably been missed and it, it takes a little bit, you know, like the, the parable about the, the frog being warmed up in water versus the frog jumping into boiling water. And I wonder uh, what active steps people might need to take to make the, at, at least this be a topic of conversation because, you know, back to the very famous, you know, the, the article I talk about a lot, that uh, the Peter Drucker article that culture eats strategy for breakfast on the basis that you know you might be getting more productive and your strategy might be working, but culture will be the thing that, um, I suppose that culture is the way that businesses op- operationalize their, their values and what's important to them. They, you know, it guides the decisions and how, how they interact with each other. And you know, you've got, even when you've, you've got new starters, you've got people joining, you've got a huge, a wonderful diversity of people and thinking in an organization and it tends to be the culture that creates the coherence of that of that diversity towards a common goal and and the culture uh, is as important 
if not more important than the strategy. So what can you do? And what I'm, I'm picking up on from a couple of other clients who are saying, well, actually what they've done. So one lady I spoke to who works in insurance, who works very closely, she's more junior as part of a team. She said that they've, they, had a, they made a decision early on to CC each other in emails that they wouldn't normally. And you know, most people would say, "Oh God, please don't CC me in that. I can't. I can't have even more emails in my inbox." And at the same time, she said, "I need it because that's her equivalent of picking up on some of the unconscious cues, albeit it is on email and electronic still." And she said, "I'm learning so much because I'm I'm seeing some of the dialogue that's happening, which I would normally not. And at least that's giving me some insight into." the way in which people are structuring their thinking when it comes to talking to clients or talking about deals, which I thought was, I thought was curious and, and interesting. And the point being, they've recognised that something is getting lost and they're thinking, how do we do something about it? I wonder if there's also a role for, for those people in organisations who really symbolise the organisation's culture. You know, the people who have been there a long time who have seen and been through the changes that have occurred and who can really speak to what's required to get on and get along within the culture of an organisation. And I wonder if those types of people have got more of a role to play in sharing through through conversation um, the values that they are upholding. Yeah, I think, and it's what's the mechanism, you know, what's the practical thing that you can do. And one of the things that... Um, I came across reading online and it, and it speaks to things that we've helped people with in the past as a business is how mentor relationships and how, how important they become in the, in, in the cascade of culture as you're talking about. And there's a, all the while there's mm-hmm. the sense that productivity is increasing. That's great. And also what's the mechanism for cultural transfer of, of, of values and the mentor relationship is you know, when when it's set up properly, is it's a very different relationship from line management. And you know, just because you're a line manager, a great line manager, doesn't necessarily mean you're a good mentor. It's like the you know, the joke about the you know, why do parents and what you know why do grandparents and grandchildren get on so well? Well, because they share a common enemy. And the relationship of the mentor and the and the and the mentee is very much like the uncle or the grandparent and the and the grandchild or the niece and nephew, where you're not having operational responsibility for somebody and you still have an impact on their values and, and how they perceive the world and, and talk about the, the nuances of, of an organisation or, or what's important in certain situations, which creates this um, coherence and, and brings, as you say, brings the values of the organisation to life. And I wonder in the three stages that Satya Nadella talks about is that the, the world, as he describes the fact that the world's gone through three phases with dealing with the pandemic, respond, recover and reimagine. So the respond and recover bit is obviously tactical and dealing with the immediate effects and, and figuring out how to make sure you can resume basic activities and the, the reimagined thing, which is he talks about, is the, you know, I suppose that's the growth side of things for him. It's the how do you reimagine how we need to operate long term? And that's about possibilities. And within that possibility, I think the mechanisms that, that we'll need 
well, might be different to the relationships, the mentoring relationships, the way that people onboard people, or just the fact that you flag what's missing for you. And as you said with the interns, yeah, if there are behaviours that we're having to make more explicit in terms of their appropriateness or not, that you can't rely on the environment or the implicit um, sense of what's right or wrong, or what's too much of something, what's too little, which is which isn't going to happen, you know, on a, on an organised, structured um, video conference. Mm. It's like um, the the reimagining might require us to identify together what the implicit elements of the work environment are, so that we can make what the work environment gives us more explicit. And think thinking about the people I was speaking to last week and the the unprofessionalism that um, was emerging. You know, one of the roles of the of the folk I was speaking to was to give the feedback. Was to was to talk to the individual about it so that they knew because it just wasn't in their awareness. You know, you don't know what you don't know and they hadn't picked it up. And there was a perception around their behavior that was inappropriate that it was really important for them to know. So there's an element of courage here, isn't there? Courage to have the conversation, courage to tell someone the stuff that perhaps may have been learned implicitly needs to be verbalized explicitly. And I think, I think the, that that truth to an awareness of what's appropriate and what isn't. Um, I think I think we're also talking about back to the point about what might be lost. We had a um, so Caroline who was on our I think our last podcast who um, has also got a puppy, um, which her son as a, as a slight aside her son insisted on naming. So it's a it's a girl dog. And uh, Teddy's insisted on it being called Cinderella. <laughs> so Tom, her husband, is delighted to be heading towards the local park uh, with, uh, you know, shouts of Cinderella. I think they are going to shorten it to Ella, um, which I thought was quite clever. Caroline ran a workshop for us online, and obviously, you know, as you know, you know, we've we've worked really hard to. How do we create an experience virtually that's that's engaging for people so they enjoy it and and we can work out what's important to people in those contexts so we can still deliver what's important to us, which is is helping people make better choices in in their in their communication skills. Caroline had a follow up session, so we'd we'd had to park the the face to face sessions halfway through. And then pick them back up. So with the same group, um, and pick back up three months later. And the clients are a very traditional office-based client who, through whatever reason, they've never had to have much in the way they're a UK-based or operation, and they haven't had to have any culture of video conferencing. So the most that they've experienced are conference calls. So it feels like it's it's going back a few years, and at the end of having said that, having you know gone through the pain of getting people used to Zoom and having people um, sign on, and, and when we get going with that, one lady at the end of that session, she was when we asked or Caroline asked, "How's that been for you?" The, this lady was was welling up, and she said, "It's just so nice to be with everybody again." 
And so for her, you know, what's lost is is not, you know, even even that virtual experience of actually being with people other than just down a phone line was a huge thing for her because she's had four months or five months without it. So add that to the face-to-face nature of things, what, what might be lost and how that might be something that really affects how people feel about themselves in, the, in that context. I think when we all stand back and ask ourselves what's important to us about the work we do, when you take money out of the equation, for many of us it's a, it's a sense of friendship and connection and rapport with the people that we share a workspace with. And often, you know, we, we develop, you know, really deep and close relationships with the people that we spend our days with. You know, if we think about when you and I first came into contact, it was the, you know, it wasn't a work environment. Um, what was it 20 years ago, Ben? And our, and our friendship and work relationship has continued in different forms in a myriad of ways over that 20 years. And, you know, will we, is it possible to achieve that same level of connection online? I don't know. You know, if um, if we were to have met 20 years ago on Zoom, would we still know each other? Yeah, and I think it is. It's the, the you know, the, the, the small talk, the conversations, the, you know, people talk about the water cooler conversations, don't they? And it's, you know, if I think back to that time, you know, it wasn't all the work projects that we were on. It was the coffees. It was the meet up for breakfast. It's the, it's the um, more informal communication, or the mm. you know, and that that times however many people in an organisation in an office. So again, it might not be possible for a little while. But what are people doing that that's making a difference? To not not you know you can't make it sort of like organised fun on a Friday afternoon. You, but recognizing it, so I think um, Satya Nadella's point about you know swapping one dogma for another. It's you know we I think we live in a world of polarities at the moment where it's either this or that, and and inevitably I think the real answer lies in the middle where people are talking about having more productive conversations because they're more organized on Zoom and and but maybe not all of them. But one guy I was talking to yesterday says he loves the fact that he's getting some undivided attention with some people that he wasn't before. So it has its merits and it's, and it's about looking out for what you get from it, but also what might be lost. One of the things I'd like to hear more about is, is innovation and creativity and how that can be reimagined in this um, different world we're in. Um, because whenever when I think about that creativity and innovation, it's that it's the collaborative quality of that, of things of of of, of something sparking off someone else and how things build and form together. And I'd be curious to know more about how how people's experience of 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 sharing a creative endeavor has being affected well i wonder i mean i i i'm curious back back with that with you to say that you when we run action learning sets and you know you get people together and we've always done that virtually because of international groups 
how how creative are people in that context? Is it possible to be creative in the solutions that people provide each other in that context? I think what what I've learned from the last couple of years of running action learning groups online is that the one thing you can achieve online is a good deal of honesty and openness. And and I wonder whether people are, are, are less guarded in that space. I don't know, but definitely with the experiences I've had of facilitating those groups, people are still able to disclose. People are still able to experience some some kind of an emotional response to something that really matters to them. You know, all of that stuff still goes on online. And maybe it's the undivided attention bit and the fact that you know, you are expressing yourself, albeit with only two or three other people. And maybe there is a place for that. So it's horses for courses. There are things that when when handled in a certain way work virtually and maybe are a substitute for and maybe work maybe you could argue can work even better. There's something about just to jump in, there's something about the the protected nature of that space and the way it's held and the way people assign what that space is for. It's not a meeting. It's not it's not agendered. The 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 frame of intent is is set whereby each individual who who joins it has some time to really speak to their their concerns and the problems that they face. And in the knowledge that the process they go through is for the first five minutes of verbalizing, whatever that is for them, the rest of the people in the room are listening. They get the opportunity to present without, you know, without feeling judged and people listen. And then there's a process of questioning in order to, to, to really deepen the group's understanding of, of what the problem is. And then the group, not the, not the person who speaks for the first five minutes, the group then discuss it and talk about their experiences that might relate or how they resonate to the issue. And the individual that's brought the issue listens to that conversation going on. And maybe there's something about the structure of it that really helps. Yeah, maybe there's something about the much as it's, you know, not swapping one dogma for another, saying like, is it face to face or is it online? And it's not a binary decision. It's the same within the different types of interactions that people will have. It's not down to the mechanism. It's how they're handled. Maybe it's about how... That, you know, you you talk about creating that space where people can be. Maybe it is. It's the it's the frame of intent to have different types of conversation, and maybe that's a, a solution. That when we're thinking about how we get the blend right between face to face and online, is maybe it's not so much the mechanism as the intent or the way in which people get a sense of of what sort of conversation that they're in. Something sandboxed. I dug out from the Peter Drucker stuff with the culture eat strategy for breakfast is his quote was that corporate culture is a hard thing to get right. It's a moving target that means something different to everybody. It grows and evolves over time and is the result of action and reaction. And it's the, and this is the bit that strikes me is it's the lingering effect of every interaction. And I think, Maybe what we're saying is the interactions can be different and the interactions of varying types, be they mentoring interactions, be they interactions where you're talking more about how you're showing up or how you are coping with situations. Back to what we talked about 
you know the conversations about holding or solving a few a few podcasts ago maybe it's not so much the mechanism and as the the frame of intent or the the different types of interactions that are needed because we may be in this situation for for a little while and inevitably the lingering effect of a virtual work environment um, is going to be different there's no getting away from it mm. i think i think there'll be some elements where productivity is huge and people are loving it and i'm sure the pendulum will begin to swing one way or the other and it's just the fact that it's a it, it evolves it's not one or the other it's more of a okay how are we going to make this work and i think some of the companies and the clients that we work with you know as we've talked about are working really hard to evolve but the the evolution comes from the quality of conversations not about what they need to talk about but how they need to talk about it and for sure the research by the cardiff by cardiff university and the university of southampton this week really shows that people in the uk at least are wanting to to stay where they are you know almost nine out of ten people who work from home during the coronavirus lockdown want to continue doing so so you know we're going to be doing this for some time or at least a lot of people will be and maybe it's the maybe not making doing a cause and effect assumption that the what this conversation has left me with is the Satya Nadella's point about being um being mindful of what might be lost is um or being being on the lookout for what's lost it's not making a, a cause and effect correlation between losing. You, you don't necessarily have to lose things through. You lose some things by not returning to physical presence. And you don't have to lose there's everything. There's also stuff to gain. Say again. There's also stuff to gain. There's stuff to gain. And there's also stuff that you can avoid losing if you talk about how you get what's important to, if you, you understand what's important to people about being in each other's presence and how do you, create something similar if you are having to do that virtually and that's by dialogue of, of of the how not the what there's also something so positive about the notion of of reimagining i mean it's so positively construed that word for me it holds out a lot of hope and i'm with i'm with that i'm with it i think things can be reimagined in a much better way yeah i think no, it's it's he's clearly borrowed the three R's concept from that um, workshop that we ran two or three months ago, which was I think ours was what reflect, <laughs> reorient, reorientate, and reciprocate. Was he on it? I didn't I didn't see him sign on. See, that's another issue with Zoom is you don't know who you get. <laughs> well, I thought that I thought the interesting thing was when when we uh, we we outlined the intention of the session to reflect, reorientate, and and. Um, reciprocate and then put people into, into into breakout rooms in pairs which I think I probably could have maybe framed slightly better in that I said look so you're going to have a conversation with somebody what we'd start with I think we started with 100 people didn't we and then I said uh, so we're going to just put Michael's going to press the button and you're going to end up in a pair to discuss you know your experience of, of lockdown and uh, it's a bit like the lucky dip of breakout rooms I hope you get somebody um, somebody that you like and um yeah, and then when you said to me, uh, "Yeah, just to let you know, Ben, we've lo- we've lost fifteen of them." <laughs> At this point, fifteen people signed up. I'm not ready to have a conversation. Oh, I think that's is that my taxi? Is that, is... <laughs> taxi for one. The facilitator's leaving. Oh, I think I've suddenly got something far more important. <laughs> so, I think the 
my learning from that was definitely to uh, yeah to be I suppose do what we're teaching a little bit more and make sure that we manage expectations about um, what to expect. So that was a, that was funny and also a, a good learning. Um, but the point in the session was the final R was about reciprocate and the fact that the reciprocity is about interpersonal relationships, whatever the mechanism is that if we want to get more of what we need from our relationships with each other, if you do more of what you're looking for to others, you'll get more of it back. And so if you're not getting what you need from whatever mechanism is forced upon you, the there is a way of cutting through that by talking about what's important to you about the relational aspect. And, and if you want to replace what's lost, then talk about it or maybe think about how you can put some of those things in place through the way in which you frame your conversations and what you offer others, regardless of the mechanism. That's a pregnant pause. Have we? Have we? Are we? Have you run out of things to say? I was. Uh, I definitely entered into a little reflective mode there, which, obviously, in the context of a podcast, isn't that helpful? <laughs> how long? Have, how long have we been friends and worked together, mate? That. You, get, you, you just get yeah. used to it. I, I talk too much, you talk too little. There you go. Somewhere we meet each other somewhere in the middle. So <laughs> Michael's drifted off again. <laughs> but Ben, maybe this is a good moment to wrap things up. It is. I think. I think this I've is. entered into a reflective zone, and you've entered into teasing me. So, well, this probably is a good time to uh, press the red button. So. We hope for the listener you found that in some way provocative, gently, and that as ever, there's no right or wrong way of doing anything. And it's just to provoke some thought to help people make more informed choices. Mm-hmm.